Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. comes from Philippians chapter 4 verse 10 to 23. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, you are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Evening, everyone. I'm really starting to look forward to Thanksgiving Day at St. Matt's each year. I, I really enjoyed this morning. I enjoyed this evening. I, I love that we're praising God and expressing our gratitude to him. I, I love the projects that we have the chance to support. I mean, what if the money we give this year can help renovate a soup kitchen in Darlinghurst? How cool is that? What if the money we give this year can be used to build a church in Bangladesh on that empty block we saw in that video a couple of weeks ago? What if the money we give can be used to protect women from being trafficked into slavery? Uh, to raise up new Christian leaders, to help people at our church go on a church camp in a couple of years. These are such exciting things. But I always feel conflicted around Thanksgiving Day because for us to support all those projects, for them to happen, we need to be generous. I need to be generous. And there's always this fear, this wrestle I have. I worry that if I'm generous, what if I then won't have enough? What if I don't have enough? Enough for what exactly? I'm not even always sure. But I do know, at least, that if I keep more for myself, I'm more likely to have more instead. 
It's really hard to feel like we lack something. It's painful to feel like you don't have enough money. Or that you don't have enough wisdom. Or you don't have enough friendship. Or enough strength. Or enough education. Or enough patience. It's it's just hard to not have enough. And our modern world isn't helping us with this. In a world of upgrades and upskilling, of renovations and vacations, of self-help manuals and social media comparisons and side hustles, our world wants us to feel dissatisfied. Our world wants us to feel discontent. It's like we're constantly being told, you don't have enough. Or maybe just, you're not enough. And so into our modern world, God speaks through these ancient words from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Into a world of discontent, God offers contentment. For everyone who feels their lack, whatever the circumstances, God promises that Jesus can be enough. God, can you please help us to see that tonight? As we look at this passage, speak to us, convince us, comfort us that Jesus really is enough. Amen. Christmas is coming up. I think John said 36 days. That's horrifying. That's all right. It might be worth checking in to make sure we brush up on our social skills and we haven't forgot what to do when we receive a gift. So, when somebody gives you a gift, let's do a pop quiz. A, do you say, wow, thank you, just what I've been wanting? Or B, this is nice and all, but I I don't really need it. Discuss with the person next to you. Work out what's the right thing to do. Except that you don't actually need to discuss it with the person next to you. We're all clear on what the answer is, right? Maybe some of you need to brush up, but okay. But if you were paying careful attention when Josie was reading the Bible just now, it really looks like Paul is choosing option B. Now, Paul is in prison. This is the situation. Paul is in prison right now for being a troublemaker. Paul has been traveling around the Mediterranean Sea, inviting people in different cities to follow Jesus. And that invitation has been driving up all sorts of conflict and trouble. And so he's been arrested, he's in prison. And the Philippians, in love for their friend and their leader, Paul, have sent him a financial gift to pay for food and clothing and other essentials while he's in prison. Because in a Roman prison, under the Roman prison system, taxpayers aren't paying for prisoners to be in prison. You have to pay your own way to survive in prison. So one of the reasons Paul is writing this letter is to say thank you for their gift. And it starts off well enough. Verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. I rejoice greatly. He's ecstatic. He was delighted to receive their gift. And we might think, well, of course, no wonder. Like, he's going to die. He's going to starve in prison if they don't help him. Surely, right? He must be desperate. But then he clarifies, I am not saying this. I didn't rejoice greatly because I am in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. 
I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul wants the Philippians to understand that as as much as he appreciates their gift, he doesn't need it. Which seems at first like something that would have been better left unsaid. And we'll get to why he wants them to understand that he doesn't need it. But first, I just want us to wrestle with this question. If he doesn't need their gift, why does receiving their gift make him rejoice so greatly? What does their generosity represent for Paul that makes him ecstatic? In the following verses, Paul gives four reasons for his rejoicing. He gives four grounds for his great joy at their generosity. And we're going to look at each one by one to understand where Paul's coming from, but also because I think as we do, it's going to help us understand why it might be worth rejoicing over our own generosity too. So number one, Paul rejoices at their generosity because it's proof of their faith in Jesus. One of the most discouraging things in the Christian life is to watch other people give up their faith. Whether they do it dramatically or slowly, one of the hardest things for a follower of Jesus is to see another person stop following Jesus. And Paul knows that sorrow. He's familiar with that grief. And so when he gets this gift from the Philippians, it's proof for him that they at least are standing firm in the Lord Jesus. He writes in verse 14, It was good of you to share in my troubles. Just like they used to partner with Paul as he visited other cities to tell people about Jesus, they've continued their partnership with him even now while he's in prison. Think about that. In this honor and shame culture, how embarrassing that their leader is now in prison when they already worship a crucified Savior. I mean, how uncomfortable would that be? They could have abandoned him. They could have just ghosted him, honestly. He's in another city far away. But they want to share, not just in his triumphs, but in his troubles too. So when Paul received their gift, it told him that he wasn't alone. And that his labor in sharing Jesus with them hadn't been in vain. These Philippians, they are lifelong disciples. I'm really good at feeling the disappointment when other people walk away from Jesus. But through this passage, God is inviting me and he's inviting you to notice and rejoice at all the people that keep following Jesus, whatever comes. I mean, there are so many people in this room right now who have had so many different points at which they could have given up on Jesus. But we're here today. We're choosing him again. We're giving thanks to him again. We're declaring to each other and to the world that Jesus is worth it. Our partnership together is proof that we're not alone and that our labor in the Lord Jesus has not been in vain. He is worth it. Number two, Paul rejoices at their generosity Because he knows that they're going to get way more than they gave. Verse 17. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. The Philippians are like a rich community. 
I mean, some of them are probably rich, but by and large, they are everyday people that would feel the pinch when they're generous. They would be familiar with that fear I mentioned earlier, that fear of not having enough. But Paul reminds them, hey, God is keeping track. God has a ledger. Your generosity hasn't gone unnoticed. The phrase credited to your account has this sense of compound interest. God doesn't just keep track of what they've invested. He will pay back with interest. When we give to support the spread of God's kingdom, whether in money, in time, in energy, in love, in prayer, however we do it, when we partner in the causes of Christ for our world, we are never poorer for having done so. God always repays. He might sometimes repay us in kind. So when we give financially, he might ensure that we have enough materially and financially. But his repayment will often be greater. In exchange for things like our money, he will give us things that money can't buy. So he might repay us in joy. He might repay us in relationships. He might repay us in purpose. He might repay us in peace. He might repay us in eternal glory. But he will repay with interest. The generosity of the Philippians was worth it. Our generosity is worth it because Jesus is worth it. Number three. Paul rejoices at their generosity because it pleases their father. This is the end of verse 18. The gifts you sent are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Do you remember Leviticus? We spent two months looking at the book of Leviticus earlier this year. Remember, if you can, the very first sermon, how specifically how specific God was in explaining how the sacrifices had to happen, what people had to do down to the exact process if they were going to worship him. And when they did it exactly right, that would be a fragrant offering, pleasing to God. Well, now Paul says that your generosity, however much it is, however conflicted your heart was in the giving, your generosity is an act of worship that pleases God. Sometimes all I can really see of myself is my sin and my shortcomings. And it, don't get me wrong, it's so great to know that Jesus has died for me. But sometimes I get it twisted. I convince myself that while God forgives me, he doesn't really enjoy me. I worry that I'm just not able to please him. But Paul insists that we can We can. Followers of Jesus are able to please God. Our acts of worship, our expressions of gratitude, our efforts to relate to him are pleasing to him. I love, love, love this picture. This is one of my very favorite works of art. It took me a long time. No, that's not mine. Uh, I'm the handsome tall fellow on on the right. Left? Yeah, you get it. 
you might look at this and the longer you look, the more you might see the artistic shortcomings. But I see a gift from my child. And Jesus has made us God's children. So when we give gifts to him, he doesn't see the shortcomings. He sees the expressions of love. Number four, Paul rejoices at their generosity content because it presents an opportunity for the Philippians to also learn the secret of contentment. You remember how weird the start of the passage was where Paul chooses option B when you shouldn't do that? Remember how he responds to their gift by thanking them but also by telling them, I don't really need this. And when you read it at first, it kind of feels like he's bragging, Right? Like he's doing this spiritual boasting. Look how spiritual I am. I don't need worldly things. It's kind of how it comes across. But we have to keep something in mind. Throughout this whole letter, Paul has been trying to elevate role models for the Philippians to follow. And then in chapter 3, he explicitly says that he wants them to follow his example. When he writes about himself, that's what he's doing. He's holding himself up as an example. He's not bragging here. He's saying, hey, learn from me to a people that have just been generous, to a people that might be afraid that they won't have enough now, Paul says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. This word for content, literally it means to be sufficient, to have enough. So Paul can sit in prison and feel like he has enough. He has learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. How? What's the secret? Verse 13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. It's an amazing verse. It's an amazing verse that's been ripped out of context so many times to the point that we don't always fully understand what it's saying. But let me tell you what it's not saying. This verse isn't a promise that Christians can find in Jesus strength to overcome any obstacle. No. This is a promise that Christians can find in Jesus strength to endure anything. Sometimes we think of contentment as indifference to our circumstances. We might think that to be content means to give up our preferences. But that's not what the Bible means by contentment. Paul still has preferences. He still has feelings. He still has struggles. But his struggles don't bring him to despair. His troubles don't crush him. No matter the circumstances... Actually, through the different circumstances, he's learned that when he turns to Jesus, he can still have joy, he can still have peace, he can still have strength, he can still have contentment. He has learned that when he has everything, Jesus is still better. And when he has nothing, Jesus is still enough. That's the secret of contentment that Paul has slowly learned as he continues to relate to Jesus. When we have everything, Jesus is still better. And when we have nothing, Jesus is still enough. Jesus is always worth it. 
And time has taught Paul, experience has convinced Paul that God will meet all their needs too according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. I struggle with that promise. I struggle with the lack of detail in it. I want, to, I want to know how it all works. I want to know how God is going to meet all my needs. I want a detailed contract that outlines it all. I want to know that if I do this, then God will do exactly that. I want to know that if I expend myself, these are the specifics of how God is going to come through for me. I want a detailed contract. But God isn't inviting us to trust a contract. He's inviting us to trust him. The secret of contentment, and it has to be learned through experience. It has to be learned through relationship. It's only as we start to trust God that we can experience him as trustworthy. It's only as we feel our need that we can discover that Jesus really is enough. As I've been writing and reflecting on this chapter this week, Psalm 23 has just been popping into my mind again and again. And so I want to wrap up the message tonight by just reading Psalm 23 for you. But I'd love it if you were willing to whisper along. Don't try and like just drone along and try and get into the, the, the rhythm of how I'm reading it, but just whisper these truths out loud to yourself as we read them together. This is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Followers of Jesus, stand firm in the Lord because he is worth it. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Penn Hills 6pm congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus, to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmats.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.